Well, good afternoon. Thank you once again for joining me. Julian Campbell here. We've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. But later in the program, we'll have a look at one of our Harvard business tips that will help us uh, improve our business. We're also talking with Christina Sikiotis, our Minute on Innovation and some of the points that came out of that innovation breakfast the other week. But right now, we're going to have a chat with Heidi Pollard who from UQ Power about her new book, Your Uniqueness Quotient. Good afternoon, Heidi. Hi, Julian. Thanks for having me on. Nice to speak to you. Yeah, it's nice. It's always nice to talk to someone who's launching a new book. But let's talk about the UQ factor. What is it and, and why is it important to people? Great. Well, as you know, the, the letter U is near the end of the alphabet, but really it needs to be at the start of people's career or their personal brand. Um, and lots of people have often heard of IQ and EQ, but they may not have heard of UQ. Mm. And um, it's a phrase I coined, and it's really about what makes someone unique and how they can actually stand out. In today's modern world, it's busy, it's overcrowded, we're on mobile devices, you know, we have an online presence as well as how we meet people in person. So it's really important that we understand what makes us unique because that's what helps you um, make more money, gets, get, gets you hired if you're going for a job interview. It's what makes you more valued and it makes it easier for people to be able to refer you. We are, of course, all unique, but, but how do we find out how unique we are? So I often say there's clues that have often happened when you're a child. So go back in a bit of your lifeline history and have a look at what were some of the things I loved to do as a child, what were the things that I liked to um, do at school or even in my job where it's like time stands still, I would do that thing even if I wasn't paid for it because I love it. Also listen to the clues that other people tell you. So often you'll find people say you're great at this or you're so organised at that or I love the way you make everyone feel welcome or whatever it is. Just notice the little clues and hints that other people tell you. But generally it's something that you're passionate about, that you do freely and is usually a skill or a strength. Now now you talk about four foundations to success for leaders or businesses. What, What would they be? Yeah, so um, in the book we talk about four foundations, which is what I call the UQ powerhouse. And really, if you want to shoot for a successful career or life or business, the more you get your house in order, the better. And most people are strong in one or two areas naturally, and so you want to keep building on those strengths. But you also want to round out and make sure you're not forgetting some of the other areas. And the four foundations are IQ, which is intellectual focus, EQ, emotional intelligence, or really how well you communicate with other people. Body, which is how physically energised you are and your presence is. And then the vision, how aligned are you with a purpose? How well do you know what is it I'm here for and what do I want to do? So by bringing these four elements together, you can truly start to shape your destiny and get a really strong foundation. If I can put it really as simply as possible, if you look at what you feed your brain, who you interact with, how you move, what you eat and how you dress, and what you believe about yourself and your future, then you've got your four foundations well in place. Now, you made a comment uh, that you believe companies today are over-managed and under-led. What does that mean? Why, why do you think it's a problem? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, today everything is changing. We all know the economy changes, demographics changes and workplace environments have really changed and what people and teams expect from their leaders. So we can't just keep going back to the industrial age and the way things were always done. Today's generations expect different things from their boss 
And so often we're seeing too many, um, when we're out working with companies, what I would call container managers. So container managers are just people who are very rules-based and driven. They like to, I guess, keep everything in check and be a little more rigid. Um, whereas expander leaders, which is what we say you need more of, more leading in that way, have more of a boomerang effect. They are like fertiliser and it's kind of like everyone around them grows and the circle expands. So an expander leadership style is people who know their team members really well. They also know what makes their team members unique. So they can pinpoint those things that their staff would do freely, even if they weren't being paid, and then tap in and leverage that. So the best expanded leaders basically make other people smarter, and they're able to tap into what people are passionate about and help them um, deliver. So, so, if you, so go on. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, is this what led you into... Uh, coming around around writing this book? Yeah, great question. Um, it's interesting, Julian. I, I myself have spent over 15 years working in quite highly regulated and sometimes toxic environments in workplaces. So I saw people being treated as dispensable and just a number. And in a way, you saw their lights go out and their eyes lose their shine and glow after a while. And so I looked at there's got to be a different way to do business and there's got to be a way that we can have fun and have joy and passion in workplace but still also make profits and a company be viable. So I love working on this human side of business and I love nothing more than helping ambitious leaders or business owners manage their resource of their people. A lot of leaders and managers say to me, I waste 80 to 90% of my time dealing with people problems. So if you can learn to tap into the heart of people and get them really um, excited about their work and enjoying it, then you truly have a ticket to creating a successful business. Mm. And, and the book has been written in such a way that for the time poor people, they've only got a few words to read on each page or uh, other pages and, and pictures to look at and the message gets in no matter who they are. Absolutely. It's really a very simple, quirky book. Yeah. It um, has the visuals and pictures, as you said. You can really just pick it up and open it a page and get a little tip or clue from it. And I've had clients that have even been loaning it to their teenage children and saying, look, you could you know, learn some things from here. So rather than being a book that you think, oh, gosh, that's going to take me months to read, you could probably read it in about an hour, I would say. Oh, I think it took me an hour and a half. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and you talk about, as a case study, and there were two guys, Barkin and Flynn. What, what, what lesson... What the lesson there? Yeah, so Seth Barkin and Casey Flynn are basically two hypothetical mates that I feature in the book as a form of case study because I wanted people to be able to relate how might this apply in my actual day-to-day life from when I start my career and then go through the process of living and buying a house and having a family and all of those sorts of things. So in the case study, Casey Flynn is a, is a really good guy, but he's a bit of a cruiser. So he usually takes the easy road and he doesn't necessarily look for the promotions or do the extra little things that just make a difference. Whereas Seth, on the other hand, looks to incrementally improve himself in each of those four areas of the UQ powerhouse. And you see over his lifetime the benefit of compound growth. So he slowly and steadily improves his lot in life, his career, his mm. life, his relationship with his wife, his wealth, and his overall fulfillment. So in a way, my advice is that you don't have to make over your whole life and change everything to have success. It's just be a bit like Seth Barkin and drip feed, do little things, um, and they all add up over time to create great things. Well, good luck with the book, and people can find more on uh, www.uqpower.com.au. That's right. Thanks so much, Julian. Thank you. Um, I appreciate it. Thank you. Bye-bye.
Bye. Heidi Power there from UQ Power. Yes, some interesting and very interesting little book too. And why are you unique? You're listening to Business, the Law and You on 2NURFM 103.7. It's 25 minutes past one. Time to look at our spot on innovation. Good afternoon, Christina. Good afternoon, Julian. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. And we're going to continue to look at some of those pointers that came out of that breakfast the other yeah, week. Yeah, we can. Uh, innovation. Yep. Betterment. Betterment, I know. <laughs> and otherwise, I also lump in this one, adapt, reuse, adopt. And, and one I know that you're particularly fond of is proudly plagiarise. Because when we're striving to be better... They're the different methods that we can use to do that. We can adapt things from other industries. We can reuse things in different formats from other industries or things that we've actually done before. We can adopt different um, methodologies into what we're already doing. And all of that kind of comes under the banner of proudly plagiarised. And my favourite example of that, I guess, is the wheel, because the wheel does not only belong to the automobile, you know, um, and, and I know that it was invented for something much more different to that way back when. But the automobile um, has a wheel. So does a train. But so does a Ferris wheel, and the cogs, in a, the cogs that are used in mechanics are also based on a wheel formation. And all these can be used as examples of where people adapted and adopted, proudly plagiarised, things from other organisations, other industries. And I think that's a, a really important thing for us to be doing when we're innovating is keeping our eyes wide open um, and, our, and our minds wide open to how we can reuse things that other people are already doing it. And I know we've mentioned many times um, Steve Jobs. The, the magnetic. Yeah, Steve Jobs is <laughs> magnetic. You know, I mean, how, what a brilliant example is that? And, of course, when we're talking about Steve Jobs and the brand that goes with that, app, Apple, innovating on brand is important, isn't it? It certainly is because we don't, you know, it's, there's no point innovating just for the sake of innovating. Um, if, you're in, if you're in a particular business, you want to make things better within that business. If you come up with a brand new idea for some other industry while you're doing that, fantastic. But the main reason we want to embed innovation into, into business culture, um, which is what the Rippler Effect Innovation Program that the Business Centre um, is going to begin running at the end of June, that's what, that's what the aim of that is. But if we're going to embed innovation into an organisation or a business, we really want it to be about innovating on brand. So what is it that's going to make that brand more personable, more responsible to its customers, its clients? What new innovations can that brand use to solve its customers, its clients' problems? Mm. Always innovate on brand. And, uh, I mean, a, a saying that has been around for many, many centuries probably is walk in someone else's shoes, and that came up as part of innovation too, didn't it? Yeah, it certainly did. So the best way to, to, to try and find out what somebody's problem is or what one of your customers' problems is is to walk in their shoes. The best way to find out what problems your management's having is to walk in their shoes. The best way to find out what you, the problems that your employees in your organisation are having is to walk in their shoes. So, you know, it was some very wise person that came up with that saying however many years ago it was. Confucius, we don't really I think it was. Know. Perspe- was it? <laughs> and that doesn't surprise me at all. Um, but what better way to understand what's going on in somebody else's, in somebody else's um, life, in somebody else's... Uh, problem space than to actually walk in their shoes and go and have a look at what's going on. You know, we often talk about go and have a look at what's going on on the ground floor. If, you, if you're up in management and you haven't been on that ground floor for a long time, go back and have a look. I mean, there's managers that actually walk that ground floor every day to find out what's going on. And the comment that I've heard that goes along with that walking out of someone else's shoes is take your shoes off first because we often think we see it from the other person's viewpoint, but really we're still seeing it from our own viewpoint. Yep, that's brilliant, Julian. Fantastic, you know, and how that perfect way to get perspective 
on the problems that it is that you're trying to solve. And that, look, honestly, problem solving is when we innovate the mm. best, the mm. most. It's the, it's the most common, um, common, um, common impetus for innovation. All right. Well, thanks very much for your time again, and we'll have a look at a couple more of those uh, well, uh, wise sayings next week. I look forward to it. Thanks, Julian. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Christina Sikiat is there with the thought on innovation. That was uh, some great points came out of that breakfast the other week, and we'll continue on looking at those because they are the crux of innovation. Well, now it's time for our tip from the Harvard Business Review, and one of the problems we all have, keep your meeting from going off track. You can follow all the guidelines for holding an effective meeting, but things can still go wrong. The best way to handle problems is to prepare ahead of time and to intervene at the right moment to get things back on track. Firstly, think about the attendees. Is there a windbag in your group? Ask him or her to focus on their comments on a particular aspect. A constant critic. Have that person lead part of the discussion. Someone with a habit of being late. Give him or her the job of do, to do something during the session. Secondly, make sure everyone has a turn. If one person is hogging the conversation, walk closer and closer to him or her. This drops, draws the group attention to you and away from the speaker. Thank him and call on someone else. And thirdly, don't be afraid of silence. Allow silence for one minute. People might need time to process. Ask if you should clarify something or if there's an issue people are avoiding. Take a short refocus break, or if people seem worn out, reschedule. So a little couple of tips there that might help us keep our meetings on time next time. Well, thank you for being with me the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the program. We've looked at the new book, Unique Quotient Power, from Heidi Pollard. We've also had a look at a couple of those tips on innovation. In a moment, Jane Klein will be back with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, we'll have a look at the tax and budget with Tony Vidray from AV Chartered Accountants. Have a minute on innovation with Christina, and we'll look at some more legal and business news and views that may affect your business. I'd love your company at the same time for business, the law, and you. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous week, and as someone once said, believe and act as if it were impossible to fail.